warped by the rain, driven by the snow. I'm drunk and dirty, don't you know? And I'm still willing. And I was out on the road late at night. I seen my pretty Alice in every headlight. Alice. Dallas, Alice. Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 230 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. And our episode today is a review of the U.S. Department of Justice Antitrust Division's enforcement activities. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Uh, sorry, we've been off for a couple of weeks. Things have been absolutely uh, bonkers with the Ukraine war, the invasion, uh, and the implications uh, in sanctions, reputational issues, ethical issues, uh, has just been um, overwhelming for the whole sort of business community, um, and obviously carries great risks. Um, and, uh, you know, our heart goes out, of course, to the uh, suffering and terrible tragedies in uh, Ukraine. It's really uh, heartbreaking to watch, and uh, uh, our, our, our hearts go out to them uh, in every way possible. Anyway, today, turning to the Antitrust Division, and the reason I scheduled this was really because the Antitrust Division uh, is taken over by a new Assistant Attorney General, Jonathan Cantor who's quite an interesting uh, character in terms of ramping up antitrust enforcement. And this is perhaps uh, one of the few areas, I think, at the Justice Department where promises were made and promises have been delivered in the sense of uh, promises were made about robust antitrust enforcement. Now, in fairness, he had a lot of bipartisan support from both Republicans and Democrats. It was sort of a, a meeting of the minds in terms of the need to ramp up antitrust enforcement. Uh, not to say that the targets of the inquiry were the same, but uh, there's definitely a bipartisan support for a more robust um, investigation and enforcement activities against uh, big business, particularly in the digital area. Uh, as well as in merger enforcement, and we're going to talk to that. But uh, AAG, and I'll use that as Assistant Attorney General, shorthand, Cantor promised uh, this new era in antitrust enforcement. Uh, he won, like I said, bipartisan support, got through the confirmation process, and he promised aggressive merger enforcement, new civil enforcement initiatives, particularly in uh, the digital markets, um, you know, Facebook, Google, Google, other digital markets, and constraint of market power in numerous industries, as well as an increase in criminal enforcement. Uh, frankly, he promised a total uh, new approach to antitrust. Uh, he has uh, outlined his philosophy, and to, to be quite uh, candid, he's delivering. Uh, he's delivering on what he promised, and uh, it really has made for an interesting time uh, in the antitrust bar and in the antitrust enforcement area. The recently was the annual antitrust spring meeting in Washington, D.C., which is an important and fascinating event uh, at which sort of policymakers, enforcers, and the bar get together. And uh, he delivered uh, at that 
um, meeting another important speech. And I think my summary today is going to go over sort of two speeches and what he talked about. Uh, this was the second speech that he delivered of importance, and uh, I'm going to talk about the other one, talking about digital markets. And um, he outlined early trends, which sort of demonstrated his commitment to what he promised to do when he came to, to the uh, position. So, for example, with regard to merger enforcement, he alerted everyone early in his tenure that he planned to reject remedial se settlements to merger cases and instead would seek, uh, you know, go, no go, basically abandonment of illegal mergers. According to Cantor, the remedial settlements did not effectively work in practice. He cited the fact that uh, research demonstrated that, um, you know, research demonstrated that um, these settlements, which usually were divestitures or even behavioral type constraints in terms of court orders against uh, behavioral actions in the marketplace, uh, tended not to uh, protect or even advance uh, competition. So um, based upon that um, and the fact that remedial settlements did not effectively work in practice, he, uh, he has basically applied an approach which is basically that if we're going to challenge a merger, um, we're going to go all the way and seek to get the parties to abandon it. Now... As an example of these so-called flimsy settlements, uh, he cited comments from a recent food and agricultural listening session conducted with the FTC, which centered on the impact of a 2017 dairy merger that failed to preserve or even advance competition. And uh, based upon sort of these flimsy settlements, he said he's basically not going to uh, employ that tool anymore. That's a big change. I mean, frankly, I worked in the antitrust division in the 80s. And, uh, you know, if you blocked a, a merger, most times uh, there was a settlement that was reached, a negotiated settlement of some sort. So since his uh, taking uh, over the division, they've sued uh, to block four mergers in the last four months. In fact, he cited that they rejected a proposed settlement from Cargotech and Concron, which resulted in the parties abandoning a proposed $5 billion transaction. In addition to the merger enforcement, uh, uh, Cantor observed that, he, that the division currently has six active civil cases, including the monopolization case against Google, and merger challenges against American Airlines, Penguin Random House, United Health Group, U.S. Sugar, and Verzatech. And with respect to criminal enforcement against illegal cartels, uh, Cantor cited its record of 21 indicted cases against 42 individuals, including nine CEOs and corporate presidents. And as of the end of fiscal year 2021, which is in October, the antitrust division has 146 pending criminal grand jury investigations. Much of the antitrust division's criminal enforcement, if you read and follow the blog and podcast, focus uh, has been on labor markets and illegal no-poaching agreements and wage-fixing collusion. In anticipation of this growing litigation workload, uh, Cantor has turned to reorganization and expansion of resources and staff. He's appointed two supervisory deputy assistant attorney generals to oversee the rapidly expanding litigation workload and to address litigation resource needs 
the antitrust division is actively hiring additional trial attorneys. In another interesting announcement, though, he also noted that the department intends to increase enforcement of Section 8 of the Clayton Act, which prevents uh, interlocking uh, directorates. And Section 8 enforcement has historically been restricted to merger enforcement investigations, but now he's saying he has increased, he's ordered uh, prosecutors to take a look at Section 8 enforcement outside of potential mergers. Finally, he talked a little bit uh, in this speech about the criminal leniency program, the changes that were made recently uh, to ensure that, pe- that companies seeking the benefit of it promptly report um, uh, criminal activity uh, after it's discovered. Uh, and in an important aspect to this, that companies remediate any potential violations prior to receipt of a leniency letter. Thus, companies will be required to enhance and remediate their antitrust corporate compliance programs to meet DOJ's expectations and requirements. All interesting things, but clearly uh, AAG Cantor means what he says, Um, and uh, he's executing on a plan that he has made very clear to everybody um, and outlined uh, to political uh, people on the Hill and uh, within the antitrust in the United States Department of Justice and also uh, within the antitrust division. So this is going to be an interesting time uh, and there's more to come. Now, uh, in specific focus are digital markets and digital market companies um, and aggressive uh, antitrust enforcement against the digital markets is clearly a bipartisan issue right now. Um, and he, uh, Cantor, has really focused on the rise of monopoly power over digital markets, and he analogized the state of digital markets in a speech, uh, which is really interesting, that he gave in Brussels at an international uh, European uh, international um, antitrust meeting. Um, and he analogized the state of digital markets to the historical concerns underlying the, anti- the antitrust laws, which was monopoly park power over a market, which was inconsistent with our form of government. Market-based economies, he says, give citizens choice and opportunity as part of our fundamental freedoms. So citizens, and so now we're not just focused on consumer welfare, Uh, He is uh, articulating a broader and more historically consistent approach uh, prior to the 1980s of uh, what the antitrust uh, laws were intended to address. In his view, citizens have too little choice where they get their information from uh, or and who takes control, takes or controls their personal data. Consumers cannot choose which algorithm controls what news is promoted and how to interact with their social network online. These limitations, he thinks, stifle open markets and competition. Uh, The root cause of this restriction is what economists call network effects, which enable digital companies the ability to engage in what he has clearly thought about and really wants to push the idea of engaging in moat building, moat like a castle, a moat around a castle, which in effect protect existing monopolies from competition. And uh, the speech is really fascinating because he, uh, Cantor outlines uh, sort of anti-competitive moat building 
uh, activities that keep competitors from or would-be competitors from challenging a monopolist's product or services. Another way to describe this terminology in, in my mind is the famous barriers to entry, which is well-known and well-regarded. But this moat-building idea uh, talks about it, it's sort of a broader concept. Uh, you know, think about a moat surrounding all the uh, aspects and operations of a castle. And moat building incorporates the concept of a knowing construction of a moat that is the knowing and intentional creation of barriers to entry. And this terminology may become the new, you know, sort of uh, yardstick when it comes to digital markets, given the unique market factors associated with digital monopolists. And Kander's point is underscored by his description of how moats uh, defend the core platform monopoly from entry and disruption. In the digital economy, potential competition could come from platform participants, potential entrants, and disruptive technologies. But at its core, monopolists in digital markets rely, in my view, on exclusionary conduct. And he cited two significant factors in the digital market that perpetuate this problem. First, the network effect that is so powerful and feedback effects across entire connected ecosystems, like Facebook, for example, that it creates enormous monopoly power and later competitive, anti-competitive incentives. And given the breadth and instantaneous effects on the internet, a monopolist does not face large physical network demands. In other words, they don't have to build a new factory to enter the market or time to create a network uh, akin to the historical natural monopoly, let's say, of telephones, electricity services. Actually, um, it's a quick and rapid feedback mechanism on the internet uh, and where network effects can just rapidly occur. I mean, we may call it going viral. Um, so there. Uh, in that sense, it's a much uh, more rapid uh, impact in a marketplace. Second, a novel feature that he cited of digital markets is the wide range of business relationships and market dynamics uh, associated with this scope. A dominant platform can be a critical trading partner to thousands or hundreds of thousands of smaller businesses. So given these market realities and the broad cut of, let's say, digital markets these days, and the increasing prevalence of moat building by dominant market participants, Cantor advocated three active and deliberate uh, strategies to advance competition. One, and I think this is probably the most likely to occur, is aggressive merger enforcement in core digital markets to prevent monopolists from preventing entry into their core markets. Uh, two, assessment of moat-building strategies when considering unilateral conduct, in other words, monopolization cases, uh, like Google's uh, case. And three, review of actual or threatened discrimination by dominant companies and the impact that such actions have on other businesses. And there, you know, this just rings a bell with me, and I don't mean to say rings a bell, but if you go back to, you know, the arguments uh, in breaking up the AT&T phone company, uh, one was that the, the natural monopoly of local phone service allowed them to uh, discriminate against uh, competitors, 
to which uh, you know there were at that point in time, like MCI and other long-distance carriers. And we're seeing sort of an analogy to that same type of situation here uh, in terms of looking at discrimination by dominant companies in terms of access or the ability to get uh, onto the platform and gain the benefits of the platform and information needs from the platform. A really interesting uh, discussion by uh, uh, Jonathan Cantor, um, and I think we're going to see a lot of enforcement in this area with regard to uh, digital markets. Obviously, uh, we also are seeing legislation that's gaining steam in terms of uh, targeting uh, some of the uh, some of the major players and their activities in the digital marketplace. All in all, an interesting time. Uh, stay on top of the antitrust division. Um, they're pretty busy. There are a lot of cases coming out, and uh, we'll uh, we'll stay in touch with you with regard to any new developments in this area. Anyways, all the best to everybody. Stay healthy. Stay in touch. Uh, again, our hearts go out to the Ukrainian people, and we we hope that things um, that things can turn for the better uh, over the coming weeks. Thanks again, everybody, and talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com You can also follow our award-winning blog Corruption, Crime, and Compliance and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address mvolkov at volkovlaw.com And you show me a the wind, robbed by the sleet, had my head stoved in, but I'm still on my feet, and I'm still really smuggled some smokes and folks from Mexico, baked by the sun every time I go to Mexico, and I'm still, and I've been from Tucson to Tucum, Gary. Show me a